Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 112 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Lax Outline, an interview with Victoria Katowski. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, two of the things we're known for on Long Island are Lyme disease and lacrosse. And we had the pleasure of interviewing one of Long Island's top lacrosse players and one of our top coaches. And one of the things I found really frustrating about interviewing Victoria Katowski is that despite living on Long Island, a tick endemic community, and being from a middle-class family with all the resources in the world, she was sick for seven years before she was properly diagnosed with Lyme disease. Rich, the most disturbing part about Coach Vic's Lyme journey is the fact that she had these classic neurological Lyme disease symptoms like chronic migraines, light and sound sensitivity, anxiety, nerve damage, body pain, yet nobody here on Long Island, New York thought Lyme disease. So Matt, one of the things I really enjoyed most about interviewing this young woman is she's bringing Long Island's two L's together. She is a lacrosse coach who's also bringing educational information to her lacrosse players so that they can be protected from the Lyme disease challenges that she's had to face. Hey, Vic, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? Uh, we're good, and we're really blessed to have you on the podcast. So can you share with our listeners where you're calling in from today? Yeah, so I'm actually calling in from my apartment in Garden City on Long Island. Um, I live here with my boyfriend. Uh, we just moved here recently. Before that, I lived in Northport, so Suffolk County. Now I'm in Nassau County, Long Island. So uh, have you been a Long Island gal your whole life? My whole life. Can you tell by the accent? <laughs> uh, I'm sure our listeners can tell by all three of our accents that we're all from Long Island. So yeah. we all have to extend an apology to the rest of the world for the way we butcher the English language here on Long Island, and we're three for three. So Vic, tell us about what your childhood was like and what types of goals you set for yourself. So I had a fabulous childhood. I grew up in Lloyd Harbor. Um, I went to Cold Spring Harbor High School. I have two younger sisters. Um, my parents are phenomenal. They've been together since they were 14, um, which is pretty cool. And there's, they're like couple goals. They're, they're just awesome, awesome people. They're my best friends. Um, my, both of them are athletes. My mom was a state champion soccer player. My dad actually played three sports at Brown University. Um, he played, he played football lacrosse and he wrestled. Um, so I was pretty much born into a sports family and that has been my passion since I was a little kid. Um, I started playing boys lacrosse when I was in kindergarten because girls wasn't offered. Um, I played ice hockey, soccer, field hockey. Um, as I've said, lacrosse it goes on and on, but sports have really been my life and I've always pictured myself doing something in sports. Um, so I, in high school, I was in a lot of journalism classes and I was writing for the school newspaper. And then when I went to Lehigh University to play lacrosse, um, I was also a journalism major there. And I just pictured myself doing something in sports journalism, something like that. It's my passion. It's what makes me happy. Um, and, you know, as you guys know, I ended up getting sick. So things turned around, but that was kind of the background of where I started, you know, great family, two younger sisters, very happy sports all the time. And, you know, I was a big babysitter. I babysat every teacher's kids in high school. That was, um, that was kind of my big thing. That's what I was known for from the teachers is, oh, if you need to go out and get a drink with your husband or wife, call Vic, she'll show up in a half hour. Um, yeah, so that was kind of, that's kind of my background. Um, it was, I really, really had a great childhood, like ideal. I know that's annoying to say, but um, 
I, I was in a really, really good place up until I got sick. So let's talk about that. You said that you were uh, born to athletes. So genetically, you were a gifted athlete. And um, I guess genetically, you also had some uh, intellectual gifts because your dad was an Ivy League educated uh, athlete. Yeah. So you had, uh, you had all of these great genetic tools and you were living this uh, beautiful life on Long Island. And then you started to show the symptoms of your tick disease. When did that appear and how did those symptoms begin to affect you? So it's so hard to pinpoint exactly because I've had a weird medical history. Even though I've been considered maybe healthy my whole life, I've had very weird bouts of having the flu multiple times a year at, You know, in certain bouts of my life, fifth grade, for example. And then eighth grade, I had the flu three times. It was bizarre. And um, I so for the most part, though, we just kind of thought that I was just sick, sick. And then in... 2012, I was going to college. It was my freshman year and I got so sick. I would say it's around October. Um, I felt like I had the flu. It was really bad. I went to the doctor at school. They didn't say, they said it was nothing. Um, my coaches kind of shrugged it off. They, they said, we need you on the fields. We have, you know, we have uh, a couple fall ball tournaments coming up. You got to suck it up. So um, I started to feel a little bit better after about a week. They put me on some medication. Um, they thought maybe it was just a virus. And uh, I believe that actually they just put me on a Z-Pack, I'm pretty sure, and said I had really bad allergies. But um, after, um, after a couple of days, about a week, I felt a little bit better. And my symptoms, for the most part, went away flu-wise. And then other things started to pop up a few weeks later. Um, and like I said, this was all my freshman year of college. So, um, I chalked a lot of it up to, oh, it's your, you know, big change, you know, you're stressed, you, you're away from your family, but I started to get extreme, extreme anxiety and depression. Like I couldn't even, and there were, there were times where I couldn't even show up to class because I was so nervous to walk into class. And what's so funny is, you know, before this in high school, I was, um, you know, very involved in school. I loved all of my classes. I was, you know, an AP student. I was a high honor roll student every quarter of um, all four years of high school. So it just didn't make sense. But like I said, I kind of made excuses the entire time. So, so Vicka, I want to walk you back to um, your childhood and some of the illnesses that you are suffering during your during your childhood. Yeah. Now you you're growing up on Long Island, and we know Long Island is the tip of the Lyme disease spear. Yeah. What did you know about ticks? and Lyme disease when you were in fifth grade, when you were in eighth grade, and during these other times when you were showing symptoms which you now attribute to your tick disease? Uh, zero. It's, it sounds, I, I feel so silly saying that, but I obviously knew what, the, what ticks were because my, my family actually had, for most of my childhood, a house out in Montauk, um, and that's Tick Central at Montauk. So my parents would always warn me about ticks, but I didn't know anything outside of that I honestly chalked them up to it was like a mosquito like you didn't want a bug to bite you and that's so silly but until basically I got to college when my aunt got diagnosed with Lyme disease was when I started to even look into it and realize that it was a disease like it, that sounds it sounds so silly for me to say and it, it bugs me to to no end but you know 
it's, it's crazy to me that there's, there's no curriculum in schools or anything like that. I mean, we, I grew up in Long Island and I can't believe that no one told me about Lyme and it's not just my parents. They didn't know either. It's, you know, it, it's crazy to me that there's not, you know, curriculum in schools and, you know, signs everywhere and things like that, because now that I've gotten Lyme and reached, you know, have been reaching out and opening up to people, I can't believe how many people have it on Long Island and have had pick bites and things like that. And, you know, didn't know just like me, didn't know the right, you know, steps to take, didn't know what to do if they had a rash, didn't know what to, to do with the tick. So it was definitely frustrating um, looking back and realizing that I had no knowledge at all. So now, Vic, do you recall having been bitten by a tick at no. any time during your childhood? No, no. Um, well, I have to take that back, actually. I have been bitten by ticks before when I was much younger, but with no issue after no bullseye or anything like that. As we know, not that that really matters, but um, I definitely was bitten by a tick or two when I was much, much younger, but um, we haven't really gone too far into that, unfortunately. Um, I haven't really been able to figure out if, if maybe these things have been happening longer, you know, I think you, you guys know I've only been in this for about nine months or so. So I'm still kind of doing research. I'm still trying to learn and figure it out. And I've kind of only gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, 18 is when it seems like I really got sick, sick. And that's kind of the stepping point I've been going off of. But the problem with Lyme, as you guys know, is I, I really don't know if it was from when I was five when I got bit by a tick or from, you know, a time when I was in middle school playing in the grass, playing lacrosse. So um, there's a lot of unknown and that's probably one of the most frustrating things about my journey is just, I feel like I don't know my own medical journey. I feel like there's still so much confusion. Um, yeah, so it's, it's tough. Cause I just, I want to, I want to be able to just have on a piece of paper. This is what's wrong with you. This is what's going to fix you. This is what happened in the past. And I can't get that. And no Lyme patients can get that. There's just not that clarity right now, which is difficult. So Vic, I think it's important for us to give our listeners a context here. I mean, you grew up um, in one of, the, one of the nicest communities on Long Island, one of the wealthiest right. communities on Long Island. You graduated from one of the, one of the top school districts in the country. Right. Um, your parents are, are educated people of means, uh, mm -hmm. and you were an athlete. And despite uh, playing on a number of different um, top-ranked athletic teams, going to one of the top uh, school districts in uh, in the country and certainly in New York, and uh, and being raised by two very capable people, you knew nothing about Lyme disease. Right, right. I really, I, I really didn't. And you know what's so crazy is we know to check our dogs. You know, like we knew to we knew our dogs had to have collars and medication, but there was not that fear for us as people, which was. You know, which is so wild to me. And now, you know, now that we know and now that we're completely aware, I mean, like my parents, have, you know, they just got the backyard sprayed. We wear high socks every day. And, you know, my dad actually got bit a couple weeks ago and he immediately pulled it off with fine, you know, fine tweezers, put it in a bag, sent it off to a lab, got the full dose of doxycycline, the whole deal. Um, but it's scary because I, if I didn't have Lyme, he wouldn't have done that. And my dad very possibly could have ended up in the in the stage that I'm in right now. Um, and that's kind of why I've started to speak out about Lyme and things like that is just to protect the people I love. You know, you guys know I'm a lacrosse coach. I coach hundreds of girls in Long Island. And, you know, I kind of just made it my mission. If the schools aren't gonna teach the kids and, you know, if we don't have any kind of set curriculum, then I'm just gonna try to do it as best I can with, with the circle that I have. Um, 
you know, and I'm, I'm right now I am really trying to work with some school districts and things like that to get some curriculum in. And I have a, a few schools that are very interested and are willing to have me come in and talk, which is super exciting. And that is really exciting. And I think we need to sort of explore a little bit more about, you know, the challenges that that folks are facing with YMT. So yeah. you'd been bitten by ticks as a child, didn't know, didn't know uh, that there were any steps that should be taken. Your parents didn't know there were any steps that should be taken. And you had these illnesses, both when you were in fifth grade that you remember and you were in eighth grade, you remember, and I'm assuming you went to see doctors. And my question is, when you went to see the doctors, did any of the doctors here on Long Island, who are treating you for those illnesses, ever suggest to your parents or to you that you may be suffering from Lyme disease? Never, never, never once. Um, and I have been to so many doctors. I have been hospitalized. I have, um, you know, been to doctors on Long Island in Pennsylvania when I was in college. And not until this past summer, summer of uh, 2019, is when. Uh, my orthopedist is the one that that suggested it out of anyone out of all of the, the specialists I went to and being at hospitals and meeting great doctors not one person ever even mentioned the word Lyme to me. So Vic now let's talk about this step you took on your journey from Long Island to uh, Lehigh University and for those of you who are not aware of Lehigh it's one of the top colleges in the country and we have now an elite athlete from Long Island leaving Long Island and now going to Pennsylvania and going to one of the top colleges in the country and you shared with us that you were playing lacrosse for that team and I'm assuming when you're at Lehigh you were also in a position where you had a number of different doctors and trainers available to you because you were playing on their lacrosse team. Yes. When you are showing any of the symptoms that you are showing and as they started to really develop when you were in college, did anyone, either a trainer or a doctor or any of the uh, folks who were in charge of keeping you in your elite uh, state ever suggest to you that you had Lyme disease? No, never. No, and to be honest with you, and this is, this is a difficult part of you know, the, the sports world sometimes, what I heard, I would say nine out of 10 times I, I said something was, you got to suck it up. <laughs> you got to suck it up because we need you. And, you know, I was, I was an all American athlete, you know, lacrosse player. I was a top lacrosse player coming in to my freshman year. So I know I was important to the team, but um, I, I unfortunately had a coach that really did not listen, did not, her, her instincts were, were not right with me at all. I think she, she assumed that I was some lazy kid, Long Island kid that, you know, came in and thought I was going to maybe run the show and I didn't care. And um, what she didn't realize was that I cared so much and it was crushing me that I was once, you know, one of the fastest runners on my lacrosse team in high school. And then I showed up to Lehigh and I couldn't even run. I don't even know how to explain it, but I ended up being diagnosed with asthma, which I know now it was my air hunger, extreme air hunger is one of my bad symptoms, but I was diagnosed with asthma because I, I legitimately couldn't breathe when I was running and it was the weirdest thing. And then after that, after I couldn't breathe, the next symptom that came that was really bad and, and is probably one of the worst symptoms I've had is I had this extreme burning in my feet um, from Bartonella, one of my co-infections. And um, that was ended up that was what ended my lacrosse career because I was diagnosed with um, nerve damage in the bottom of my feet because they just couldn't figure out what was wrong. So they just assumed it was nerve damage. I mean, I got three full body scans. I mean, I did a ton of MRIs, blood work, all kinds of testing, but obviously nothing Lyme specific. So nothing would come up. 
so they ended up just diagnosing me with um, nerve damage in my foot and said, you know, you're going to be in a lot of pain and it stinks. And if you want to keep playing, you can, but if you don't think you can, don't. Um, and so hearing that and toppled with having extreme anxiety and extreme depression at my freshman year of college, I left Lehigh and, um, I just, I couldn't do it. I, I didn't know what it was at the time. I, I didn't realize how sick I was. I really thought I, I was just a failure. Um, it was so difficult. And then I followed up and I went to Hofstra, which you guys know is right on Long Island. Uh, I thought it'd be a safe place. It would be close to home. I was obviously having a ton of, I was going through this. I kept telling my parents, I, I said, I'm like, I, I don't like how I'm growing up. I don't like how I'm maturing. I don't like who I'm becoming. And I thought it was just a natural thing. I thought that I was becoming, I went from being a, you know, an intelligent, outgoing athlete who loved people and loved talking and, you know, going to the beach and doing fun things. And all of a sudden I was too anxious to leave the house to go out to dinner. And I was too depressed to wake up in the morning and I wasn't able to focus. And I was having, so I'll, I'll wrap it up with, the, the best example is I started to go to Hofstra and um, once I got to, sorry, once I got to um, Hofstra, I started experiencing panic attacks, very, very bad panic attacks to the point where I would show up and I would show up to class and I would have to leave immediately because the room would start spinning and I would feel like I was going to faint and pass out. And and I dropped out of Hofstra because I couldn't handle that. And I thought I was a failure then. And I thought I, it was just an internal thing where I couldn't figure out my own stuff. And um, then I started going to psychiatrists and therapists and things like that because I, I really thought it was just an all in my head and a huge mental block that I had. And I, would, I wanted to do anything I could to get out of it. So I started on you know depression medication and anxiety medication and I must have tried, you know, at least 10, but none of them really made a difference. Um, you know, obviously now I know because I wasn't just depressed and I wasn't just anxious. It was a lot of bacteria in my brain and things like that going on. But um, yeah, it was tough. I, for a long time, I really thought that I was a, a double failure in terms of college, especially coming from a dad who was an Ivy, you know, an Ivy League graduate, played three sports. I just thought, wow this stinks for my parents. I'm, I'm the oldest one. I'm their oldest daughter. I was, you know, this star kind of in, in high school. And now they have to deal with their daughter not even being able to figure out how to finish college. I mean, I just, I couldn't even believe it. Um, and it was tough. And yeah, if, if you guys, if you guys want to hop in, I know I've been talking for a hey, while. But. Just, just, just to put this into perspective, all of these symptoms, both physical and psychological, were new. You didn't have them as a child up until okay. your college years around 20, correct? Yeah, I, I, I really lived a, a very sheltered, easy life before I was 18. I mean, I, I don't think I, you know, I had the usual where I would get sad and I would have, you know, I'd be anxious. But, I mean, it... N they're nothing compared to what I'm dealing with now and what I have dealt with. I mean, it really was like, and I, I say this to my boyfriend all the time, I feel like someone like hopped in my body and took over, like some really cranky, angry, confused, like old lady, like hopped in my body and took over. And I want her out because I, 
it's it's such a internal struggle because there's times where I, I can feel myself and I know and I can talk to myself and say, hey, you're sick, you're going through stuff, the anxiety isn't real, the depression's not real, the burning in your feet is from a disease, you know, it, and I try to explain all that stuff to me, but then there's other days where I wake up and I'm like, I, I can't even form a full normal thought because my brain is just that fogged up. So it's tough. It's an every day. It's a, it's a struggle. And I'm, I'm really, really trying to get back to my normal self. And what I'm learning is I might not ever be completely back there and I have to kind of find a new normal that works for me, but I'm also trying to find, you know, the good stuff in, in this disease. And, you know, I, I know I've talked a lot about the negative and feeling like a failure and stuff, but you know, as I go on, I realize that this has helped me learn what's important. It's helped me learn, you know, who is important. Um, you know, you, yeah. You have such a great attitude towards this, but there is a reason to be upset as well. I mean, you were, it was like a, a switch flipped and you became a different person. And your, your family doctor, your primary care physician who knew you, then just said, this is just potentially a mental health problem or depression or psychological issue and they knew you this wasn't like a doctor who just started seeing you and we see this time and time again and that that needs to change especially here on long island where lyme and these other tick diseases are so prominent and you were exhibiting the classic symptoms of lyme disease and other tick-borne diseases yet your doctor still just said and i'm going to be a little dramatic here but it's all in your head right so i think we need to continue to work to raise awareness so these things don't happen to other people like that happened to you and also happened to me so that, that frustration and anger can be used to raise awareness and help change things for other people to not have to go through what we went through. So that's something to, I think, focus on as well. Yeah. But can you talk to us a little bit more about as your symptoms progressed, what were your doctors saying when these medications you were on, I kept prescribing you more and more, more medication and they weren't working. What were they saying was the problem then at that point? You know what, it was, the, the one thing I have to say is I, um, not and not it's not completely my fault you know it's also the doctors but it's just something i did i didn't really stay with one doctor for a long time just because of frustration and things like that so i didn't really have you know obviously i have my primary care doctor he knows me and, and that's a different story but I'm mainly the like the psychologist and things like that that i was going to say um you know i would go to one for a couple months they would put me on medication that wouldn't work. I would try to tell them it wasn't working. And a lot of times they would say to me, hey, you just got to be patient or listen, like this is the best medication. And like, if this isn't, you know, working for you, like, you know, we're going to have to figure it out or maybe you have to go some, you know, maybe you have to go to a facility at some point. Um, I remember a doctor said that to me in 2016. He asked me if he thought a facility would be a good option for me because he diagnosed me with being bipolar and and at that time, I actually was having very, very bad suicidal thoughts. And I was very, very depressed. And he actually said to me, it's like, maybe you just need to be in an institution for a little bit. And it, it, that was, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, this is insane. Like, I, I know myself, no matter what I'm going through, and no matter how bad, like, my, my brain was fogged at the time, I knew that I wasn't depressed and I wasn't anxious naturally. So, Vic, you were sharing with us that you went to a number of different doctors who were treating you for various uh, psychological and emotional symptoms. Yeah. Did you ever really believe that there was something wrong with you emotionally, or did you believe that they were just treating your symptoms and they were never really getting to the root of what was causing you to have 
all the problems that you were facing? That's the, that's the struggle. And I think that um, now knowing Lyme, I, I know where the struggle comes from just because I have bad depersonalization. And like, I know I've mentioned brain fog a bunch of times, but it's a bad symptom for me. It's tough for me to, um, I flip flop easily. So there were many times where I would say, yeah, I, I have all these issues with me. And like, I, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe that this happened to me. I can't believe I ended up being so depressed and so anxious. And then there, then there were days where I'd wake up and say, there's no flipping way that this is me. Like, there's just no way because I would wake up and I would have those moments of clarity. And I would say like, there, there's something else, there's something else here. And, you know, I haven't really mentioned this before, but one of my worst symptoms that I also faced as well was extreme chronic fatigue. Um, and so prior to getting sick, I was very active. I used to work out six times a week, um, usually with a trainer. I've had the same trainer, shout out to Dwayne, um, since I was 13. Um, he's been really great in my Lyme journey also. I'll, I'll talk about him a little bit later. But, um, you know, I worked out six days a week. Uh, as you guys know, and I've mentioned a million times, I was an athlete. Um, and all of a sudden, I was exhausted all the time. And we joke now with my, with my parents, you know, I said how great they are and that they're the best, but you know, they did, unfortunately, and I know that they kind of kick themselves for this. They would say, oh, you're always tired. You're, you know, oh Vic, you're always tired now. Like you just get up. Like you're, come on, like you're always cranky, get up. Like, and you know, I, my dad and I actually um, had a long conversation and we put it, we put it up on his Facebook um, talking about my Lyme, but he actually said, he, he said, I can't believe I didn't see the signs um, of my own kid. And I can't believe that, you know, it's, I think it's hard for my parents. I think it's hard for some of my friends. So it's hard for myself to look back for all of us and to say, how did none of us realize that there was something more going on with me? Um, like how, like how was that not clear? And, but you know, it goes back to, we had no idea about Lyme disease. I never thought I was going to be a sick person in my entire life. I mean, I really was, and I'm still sometimes in denial about that, that I am sick because it just is so opposite from my norm. And it's so opposite from just everything I wanted for my life. I just pictured myself in such a different place now. Um, so it's tough, but you know, to, I know I answered your question a really long, long way, but uh, yeah, sometimes I did see myself as depressed and sometimes I did see myself as anxious because it's hard not to when really smart medical professionals are telling you that. Um, but so then it, it sounds to me like you went back and forth between doubting that you were uh, emotionally ill and not doubting, you know, sort yes. of losing, losing faith in yourself and regaining faith in yourself. And, and, and we see that as part of the sort of traditional pattern that folks go through when they're going on their diagnostic journey. And of course, in many cases, the doubt is being um, reinforced by doctors who don't have the capacity to properly diagnose you, right? So let's now talk about how this did impact your family, because what we've seen um, regularly as a pattern on our podcast is that Lyme disease, in fact, is a family disease. And, that, and you started to talk to us about how this impacted your parents sort of looking back. But let's, let's talk about how your dad responded to you when you went from being an All-American athlete who went to one of the top colleges in the country to washing out and then having to come home. How'd your dad react to his All-American daughter washing out of her um, college career? 
have to say one thing that I'm so lucky for is that, and I know a lot of Lyme patients go through this and my heart goes out to everyone who deals with it um, and has to go through people in their circle kind of denying them and things like that. I have to say my parents, although I did say, you know, they, they said, you know, you're always tired, suck it up. From the second they knew that I was in distress and that there was really something going on, um, they, they had my back 100% and so did my sisters. So that was a really, that was a, that was a huge, huge um, thing for me in just my mental health, just knowing that I had people that weren't telling me I was crazy because that's kind of how I started to feel a little bit, started to feel like a crazy failure. <laughs> um, it was tough for my parents, but like I said, they, they had my back. They, my dad, um, when I left Lehigh, my dad said, hey, you know, come work with me. And, you know, you and I are going to, you know, do something awesome together. So he already had started a girls across program um, on Long Island. He has a, a ton of teams and he brought me on as a director. Um, so the two of us have been doing that together for seven years. Um, and that's been probably the thing that saved me the most in my health journey is just having that outlet, having the kids, um, just having something that that I can work towards and that makes me happy every day. Um, I'm very lucky that I get to work for myself and for my dad. Um, a lot of Lyme patients don't have that ability and they end up having to not work and things like that. Um, I obviously you know, haven't really been able to work at all since I've been um, really, really sick starting in the summer. Um, and my dad's been so great and so is my mom, uh, um, of course, but they've been so great with supporting me through that as well. So, you know, through leaving college twice, <laughs> not being able to work, getting really sick. I mean, they've been by my side 150% um, and financially as well, which has been really helpful because Lyme is really, really grossly expensive. So Vic, let's talk about how your symptoms developed after you left Hofstra and ultimately, um, what changed during your uh, your journey to ultimately get you to a diagnosis? So you go you go to Hofstra, you you're not able to succeed at Hofstra, you leave Hofstra, and now what's happening with your symptoms? I had a weird from Hofstra up until now. It's like a very roller coaster um, time for me because so I was really bad when I was at Hofstra. I was really anxious, and then at the same time too, I gained a very unusual amount of weight. You know. I was, like I've said before, I worked out often, um, but then I ended up having the nerve damage in my foot, which, um, you know, the, the burning sensation in my foot, it was, it was so bad that I was in two boots and crutches for four months of my freshman year of college, um, which now I look back and I'm like, wow, I didn't have to hobble around college for four months. I could have just known it was Lyme. Um, but so after I, um, I left Hofstra, I gained a bunch of weight. I was unhealthy. I was really, really depressed. Um, and then I, I don't know how to really explain it. I kind of had like a light bulb moment. I, I started to feel okay for a little while. Like I woke up one day and, it, and I was fine. I, now I know I wasn't, but in my head I thought I was fine. I had some energy and I just started working out again. Um, I started working out with my trainer, um, Dwayne, who I mentioned before. Um, he got me into a plan and I ended up getting back to myself. So I was back to like, um, how I looked before, um, I was feeling good. And then I actually got a 
a surgery, um, a, redu a breast reduction surgery, which then changed my entire life for the worse. So I was, in a, I was going uphill, I was feeling good, things were getting better for me. And then I got this surgery, I had a bad reaction to the anesthesia, my, doc, my Lyme doctors believe that's something that really triggered a lot of my symptoms, and then it was just downhill from there. Um, I lost an extreme amount of weight to the point where I was very unhealthy. I had an extreme eating disorder. Um, I mean, I was, you could see all the ribs in my chest. It was, it was sad, and, um, and besides the physical stuff, so I, you know, I, I, people were telling me I looked great, which was crazy to me because I look at pictures of myself and I'm like, I don't know how anyone would say that to someone. I, I looked sickly. Um, but I think it's because I was previously heavy. Um, I, you know, I was heavy and people saw me lose weight and they were like, Oh my God, you look so great. And didn't realize that I was losing weight because I was so sick and I felt so terrible. So that was kind of some of the physical stuff. Um, I ended up getting extreme joint, joint pain, back pain and neck pain. Um, there was a few times where I wasn't able to move my neck for an entire day. It just stayed stiff like that. Um, my face would start to droop in weird places. And then I think the scariest symptom that developed, I would say in about 2016 was I started having, um, I started fainting often. Um, almost every time I went from laying down to standing up. And I didn't tell anyone because I thought it was my from my eating disorder. So I, you know, was not only making myself sick from not getting the right nutrients, but then I was hiding how sick I really was because I liked how I looked because that's how messed up my brain was at the time. Um, so I started fainting and then, you know, it developed into these like mild seizures where I would be out for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute I would, you know, wake up with bruises, I would wake up cut, and it was, it was very scary. And at the time, I was living alone. Um, I was living in an apartment, and um, I know I heard this from your previous podcast with, um, with Sophie that you guys put out this week, but um, I know Sophie said she kind of hibernated in her home, and that's exactly how I felt. So I got this apartment, and it was basically a safe place for me to be sick and be miserable and have an eating disorder and faint and have seizure and do all of that in my own bubble where no one knew. And I, I, I fight myself on why I didn't tell people a lot. I don't, sometimes I think it's because I didn't want my eating disorder to get exposed. Sometimes I think it was just because I was scared. Um, you know, I also didn't want, I also didn't want my parents to have that as a kid. I know that sounds really sad, but they had me healthy, athletic, happy, involved in social life. And I didn't want them to have, you know, me not eating, seizing on the floor and depressed. I mean, I, it was honestly, it really was, I think for my, my family's sake, I didn't, I just didn't want them to know how bad it was because I was so scared and I couldn't imagine how scared it, scary it would be for them. And especially I'm, I'm an older sister. I have two younger sisters. So I always had the mindset like I had to be tough and I, I just didn't want to scare anyone basically. So I really did. I lived in this really sad, scary little bubble for about three years, I would say. I lived alone for, for three years. Um, so how long did you have to soldier on before you finally got a diagnosis? 
Um, I would say from when I got that uh, reduction surgery, that was in that was in early, early 2016. So from 2016 to 2019 was three horrible years. And what's funny is I think anyone, anyone that's listening to this um, who has known me for a long time and who has known me these last couple of years would probably say, what is she talking about? You know, she was fine. I was with her at the beach or I was with her at a twice order tournament last summer and she was coaching, you know, for eight hours, but they, I don't, think people realize, and this is why I started to speak out about it, is, um, you know, I'd be at a tournament coaching for eight hours and kids wouldn't know that I would, I would faint in the bathroom and then pop up and I, you know, or I would have to go in my car and take a 30 second nap because I literally couldn't imagine taking another step. That's how exhausted my body was. But I didn't know about Lyme and I didn't know, um, I didn't know that all of those symptoms I was having could be one thing. That was a big thing for me. So I remember telling my mom one day, a couple of years ago, I said, mom, I think I have to go to the doctor. There's, there's stuff going on with me. And she said, what, what is it? And I said, there's so much stuff. I don't even know what to tell you. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, I feel like every, I feel like I have to go to the doctor and tell him everything's broken. Um, and she was so shocked. And I remember my dad was shocked too, because I really didn't open up about any of this to them besides the besides maybe some of the mental stuff, they helped me with the mental stuff and they helped me get to some therapists and things like that, but they had no idea. So it was, it was definitely a, a scary, a scary time. But when I finally opened up to my mom and said, you know, I think I have to, uh, I got to figure something out. Everything's broken in my body. And I just have to be honest with you and tell you like stuff's going on with me. And then I finally started to open up to her and they found out about, um, you know, the eating disorder, um, which I think, you know, they obviously had an idea about, they saw how I looked and, um, but, you know, I was a big liar at the time. I, I would pretend I would eat. I would, you know, I, I, I lived in this bubble. And one thing I would just want to, you know, if I can get anything across to people, it's don't take, don't take terrible things that are happening to you as fact and don't take it as, you know, it's something with you. I think for just a really long time, I just thought I was becoming a bad person. <laughs> I just thought I was becoming like just this. And I, I used to I say it all the time and I have a note in my phone and I would just say, I wish I could change. I wish I could, I went to a life coach. I, I you know, I just couldn't figure out why I was once great in my eyes. And now I was this 180 sick, miserable person who also, you know, lied to their family all the time. Now I, you know, my, I would lie to my friends, you know, about the eating disorder. I would lie to them how I was feeling. And I was doing such a disservice to myself and my health by doing that because no one was helping me. And not only was no one helping me, but everyone was looking at me like I was myself and normal. And so, like I said in the past, you know, my mom would say, you're always tired. You're always sick. Like, come on, get up. Like, you know, go, go for another run. And my friends would say like, how come you're not coming out? Like, you're the, you know, you stink. Like, you know, how could you not go out with us? And, you know, I, I want to shake myself that I didn't, that I didn't speak out um, earlier because of what I was going through. But so, so Vic, you, you finally come to grips with everything being broken. You share that with your mom and now you're going forward to see new doctors. Yes. Where did you finally go to get your Lyme diagnosis and what type of diagnosis did you get? Yes. Yeah, so I didn't even get, um, so the very end of, actually not the, the middle of uh, 2019, my knee blew up really, really badly. Um, 
like to the point where it was double the size of my right knee. It was double the size of my left knee. And um, I thought I tore my ACL, but you know, of course this is just like my theme of life. I just decided to suck it up and just ignore it. It went away after a couple weeks and then it came back really, really badly. Um, I would say in July of 2019 to the point where I couldn't walk at all. Like there was no, my, my knee was so huge that my parents couldn't even believe it. And I said, I must've torn my ACL. And I remember my dad saying, how, like, that doesn't make sense. And I said, well, I coach and you know, it must've been something like that. So we went to, uh, an orthopedist, Rich D'Agostino. He's one of the best on Long Island. Um, he really, he's a great guy. And he did a ton of MRIs on me, a couple x-rays. And he finally came out and said, have you ever been tested for Lyme? And I said, no. And he said, I think this might be Lyme disease. And I remember thinking like, what do you mean this could be Lyme disease? Like my, my right knee is swollen. Like how is just one knee and nothing else and, you know, I didn't know that Lyme had all these neurological effects and things like that that I was dealing with. So I thought it was silly, but I went to go get a test. Um, the next day, they called me and said it was positive. And I was, as many Lyme patients are, thrilled. Um, I was so happy to have a diagnosis. Um, I started to look up Lyme symptoms. And I was like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. This must be what has been going on with me. So I finally opened up and I kind of told my family a little bit of what's been happening with me. Um, I haven't even mentioned either. My wonderful boyfriend has been great as well. And he's been with me before diagnosis, post-diagnosis. So he's kind of seen, you know, the whole spiel and he's seen me in my ups and downs. And I was finally able to open up to all of them because, you know, even he was living, you know, a little bit in the dark and I wasn't telling, even though we were living together, he didn't know how sick I really was. Um, for the same reason as my parents. I didn't want my parents to have a sick daughter and I didn't want my boyfriend to have a sick girlfriend. And I didn't want anyone to look at me differently or feel differently about me for it. Um, so I ended up, so I, I started opening up to my parents and um, we started doing some more research. And for like a couple of weeks, I actually thought I was gonna like get better. I, I got on doxycycline. I didn't have a great reaction to that. They put me on another um, oral antibiotic and I was doing okay for a little bit. And then, and then it just got worse. It just got much worse. Um, so I mean, the, it was like every symptom heightened. So the brain fog, if it was bad before it's a, if it was a five, it's now a 10, you know, my, my back pain, it was like, I couldn't even sleep at night because it was so bad. I was going, I mean, I, I went four days in a row without sleep multiple times. Um, so just basically everything got really a lot worse. So I ended up going on to, um, I ended up going to a Lyme literate doctor um, in Staten Island. He was a really great man. Um, he put me on a midline and IV antibiotics. Um, the problem is though that he was only treating my Lyme disease and had never even tested me for anything other than Lyme disease. So um, I was just getting sicker and sicker. And he ended up saying to me after about four months of treating me, I think your case is too complicated for me. And I think I have to send you to a colleague of mine because I really think that you're in a neurological stage of this Lyme. And I think you need, um, I think you need someone a little bit, you know, better to help, to help fight it. 
um, which I really appreciated. And to this day, I, I, he's a really great doctor and I, I couldn't, you know, I'd say enough good things about him specifically. And I really appreciate the fact that he was aware that, you know, my case was bad and he knew I needed better help. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't have the typical case of a, bu a bunch of bad Lyme doctors and things like that, because I have to say the two, the two that I've dealt with personally on, on, um, you know, the two I've dealt with personally for a while, um, Dr. Raxlin is my current doctor. He is um, a superstar and, and he's the one that my, my original doctor um, recommended me to, and along with some other um, friends in the Lyme community who I've met through Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Um, so my, my current doctor has been really, really great. He had put me on another midline that wasn't doing much. So now I'm on a pick line. Um, I'm on two IV um, antibiotics. I also do IV glutathione. I do Myers cocktails. I'm on at least 30 different supplements. Um, so I'm really trying to combat that because what he basically learned from this, this new doctor, Dr. Axelin, I went to was that I not only had Lyme, but I had multiple co-infections. So um, I come to find out the reason why I really wasn't getting much better at all um, originally with my first round of treatment was because I wasn't actually treating the, the disease that had the worst symptoms at the time. Um, the Lyme is really bad, but like my Babesia and my Bartonella are those, some of those symptoms have been really severe and, you know, have led to things like seizures. So um, right now my, my path is kind of aggressively treating my co-infections and slowly treating the Lyme over time um, just because that's what my doctor um, thinks is the best uh, case scenario for me. And I have to say, I've had, I've had really good days where I feel good and I've had really bad days where I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel good at all. I feel like nothing is, is working. Um, but I can tell you that um, if you look at the timeline of how I've been over the last, you know, four or five months, I have been making little steps every day. So I've been climbing, I've been climbing up the mountain a little bit. Every once in a while, I'm going to slip and fall down a few pegs, but um, I am taking steps every day and I feel like I am in the right, um, I'm with the right doctor. I feel like I'm doing the right treatment um, to, you know, to get into remission. I know it's going to be a battle. I know it's going to take a while, but um, I, like I said, I really do think I'm on a, a good path now. Originally I wasn't because like I said, I was, I wasn't treating the full picture. I was really, I was really attacking one, one part of my health issue, but you know, not the whole thing. So now that I'm kind of treating everything, I think it's definitely making a big difference. And that's one thing I'll urge people um, to do who have Lyme is, you know, to make sure that you get the co-infection tests and things like that. Um, because I got, three Lyme tests before um, that just tested for Lyme. Uh, I got the Igenix test, the Elisa um, Western blot, and um, not obviously nothing's, you know, nothing really came up um, that strong for my co-infections, which was a little bit odd. And then finally, when I went to this, this new doctor, he did like a very extensive blood test um, specifically to find out what, what was going on with my co-infections and it came up that I have aggressive, um, Babesia and Bartonella. Um, okay. I, I, so one thing that, that is becoming very clear from your story here is that 
although in the beginning they were just tre treating for Lyme, and then when they tested for co-infections, you weren't coming up positive, you still exhibited those symptoms. And for those that are, that are in their journey right now and aren't getting better from treatment, would you recommend that they tr work with their doctor to recognize potential other tick diseases and treat clinically? Because these tests really aren't great. As you've learned, they came back negative, then you got a positive, and that may be a shortcut to help people heal quicker by identifying that the tests don't have to be positive if you have all the symptoms. Just treat the symptoms with your doctor. Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. It's, I've had, I told you guys, I've had five, five Lyme tests. Um, four out of the five said that I had Lyme. The, the best test that, um, that I got, the Igenix test, that I had full band Lyme. So Lyme in every single band, um, every single one was positive. So that's, you know, a huge issue because, you know, I had five, five blood tests and every single test had a different result. Um, so yeah, you, doctors have to treat clinically. They have to listen to patients and understand their symptoms because, you know, Lyme is such a complicated, weird disease. Um, you know, it could hide in cyst form that can't be penetrated by certain blood tests, antibiotics. So, you know, it, there needs to be more awareness that a blood test is not end-all be-all for Lyme. It honestly, it shouldn't even be close to a requirement. And what's sad is I know so many people in the Lyme community who are my friends who have been turned away because doctors have said, no, it says you don't have it. It says it right here. But everything else in their life shows that they have Lyme. Um, Another key thing that I think we can take away from your story so far is that in addition to the IV antibiotics, you're doing other things to help strengthen your body. So the antibiotics can kill good and bad, but you mentioned that you're on a lot of supplements and herbs, which are helping to restore your body and your immune system naturally as well. So do you think that's an important combination that while you're taking the traditional antibiotics, you're also working with some supplementation and natural herbs to kind of keep your body strong so it's not gonna crash post-antibiotics? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, there, I was originally, my first Lyme doctor had me on only antibiotics. And I can tell you, I literally felt like my body was shutting down at times. Um, like you could, I could feel my liver hurting. Like I could feel things like hurting in my body and I felt like it was shutting down. And when this new doctor um, introduced supplements to me, um, you know, I've learned like things like Cytoquel and CoQ10 and, um, you know, Physicians Daily, you know, just taking supplements like that give me like the, the little boost I need to not have a massive Herxheimer reaction. Um, and even if I do have a Herxheimer reaction, you know, at, from my antibiotics and I, my symptoms get really, really bad and I have a flare up, at least I know in my head that I'm taking supplements and I'm backing up my body. So when I am really sick and when I'm feeling really down and I can't get the right nutrients by eating and, and drinking enough water, I'm at least getting all of those supplements into my body to help fight it off. Um, because yeah, yeah you, you can't just do one. I, I, I strongly believe you can't just do one thing in Lyme. It's too, especially it, with a chronic neurological stage, you know, it is, it, is such a, it is such a beast of a disease. I think you need to hit it at every cylinder you possibly can. So, you know, I'm taking, you know, antibiotics, as I said, IV and oral. I'm taking supplements. I, I talked about the glutathione and everything. I'm also you know, I try to meditate as much as I can. I do take acupuncture, which has been probably my favorite treatment, I would say, out of anything. It's been the thing that's helped me the most with my body pain and my sleep, which has been really huge for me. Um, before that, I used to think acupuncture was like 
a very odd thing to do. Like I was like, you stick needles in your body? Like it doesn't make sense. Um, but learning more about the science and speaking to my acupuncturist, it, it, it's really interesting what they do and, and they can really, really help Lyme patients, especially. I, I know um, like I even go to one myself that, that works specifically with Lyme patients, which is very helpful. Um, so things like, things like that, you know, hitting it all cylinders is, is really, really important, um, 100%. So Vic, if, if you had to, for our listeners who are currently in their treatment journey, what would you recommend? You mentioned a few already. Are there any other things, maybe like CBD oil or even some, something like as simple as if they can't exercise, gentle stretches or things like that, that you feel have been very helpful to alleviate some of your symptoms while you're treating the Lyme and co-infections? Right. Yeah. So CBD, CBD oil has been really, really great. Um, that has helped with my pain, even like the actual um, like lotions they have and things like that. Like for my back, they, I, there's like CBD patches that you can buy. Um, that are like similar to like the patches you just put on your back. They just obviously have CBD in it. Um, so I've used that for my back. That's helped a lot. I've also, um, I've been starting to follow some chiropractors on Instagram and um, have been learning some stretches from them that I've been doing at home, like some stretches for my neck and things like that, that have been really helping. Cause yeah, I, I really can't exercise right now. That's basically impossible for me. Um, there's even times we're walking, like, you know, more than half a mile is too big of a task. So yeah, just making sure I do like little things like, you know, even small yoga moves, you know, even being on a yoga mat and just breathing is very helpful. I know that sounds silly, but you know, with, with me, especially, I think the thing that's been the hardest for me has been my brain fog. And I've mentioned that a bunch of times, but you know, kind of trying to meditate and get centered and, you know, deep breathing and things like that. It was all thing. I, I used to think all of that was silly before this. And I was like, ah, I don't need any of that. But it's helped me so much in trying to reconnect with my brain and like relearn myself and remind myself who I am, because it's very easy to forget sometimes um, when I have, you know, a disease kind of ravaging through it. Um, but, you know, just, just slowing down, I, I think, the exercise is, is great and making sure that you stay fit is so important, but, you know, also making sure that you're doing stuff for your mental health. I think that's definitely the most important, at least for me, I've, I've had some really dark times, but, you know, being able to throw, like throw on a good pocket podcast, even like yours, you know, I like to, you know, I'll sit outside on my deck um, and I'll just put a yoga mat on the ground and I'll just throw on your podcast and I'll just, you know, breathe. And it's really, really helpful to connect with other people who have Lyme and, listen to their stories and, and things like that. But, you know, like I said, the mental stuff, I think is even more important to take care of, at least in my eyes, than the, than the physical and the working out and everything, just because, you know, you're living in your body, your brain is, is controlling you. So you got to have a good relationship with yourself. And, you know, especially when you're sick, I think it's easy to, to feel negative about yourself and, and, you know, to want to give up or to be angry. But, you know, I think I started finally started to feel a little bit better when I forgave myself for being sick as silly as that sounds, because I'm angry at myself for not knowing about Lyme and, you know, for living in a bubble for a long time. But when I finally forgave myself and when I, you know, when I just decided that I was going to find the good in this stuff, I, I when I'm going to find the good in the Lyme and, you know, it's things like this, even finding podcasts like, like yours. And I, you know, I've, some of the people that have been on your podcast are some of my good friends now that I talk to often in the Lyme community. Um, 
So there is a silver lining and things like that. I think the silver lining for me is, you know, my, my previous passion was coaching. That was what brought me the most joy in life. And since I can't fully do that right now, I can't be on the fields like I used to be eight hours a day. I think my new passion is going to be coaching kids in Lyme and, you know, teaching young kids. They're the most at risk. As you guys know, kids from you know, around three to 14, I think specifically are the, are the most at risk. And those are the kids I coach and those are the kids I love so much. So I think, you know, that's been a big thing for me, finding a new passion and finding something that, you know, can come out of this that's really good has been helpful for me to find that silver lining. Because as a fellow Lyme, I need to tell you this, and I, and I can't emphasize this enough, that you are being way too hard on yourself. You have, I mean, hearing your story and what you've gone through never should have happened. And it's just, it's infuriating hearing what you've had to be, go through, but yet you're still so positive. And even just coming onto this podcast to share your story, which is such a, you're, you're getting so raw and vulnerable about your, your, you know, your weakest times in your life. That's a major step forward. So helping others raise awareness is another huge thing that you're doing. So I think you need to recognize that you've come so far, spreading awareness on this podcast, helping everybody that you're training. I mean, you are literally changing the world with what you're doing. So you need to realize that. And we truly mean that, honestly. And before, before I hand this over to Rich, I just want to ask you one last question. And I mean, you from my standpoint, you have come so far. I mean, you, you seem, you're speaking very well. Your brain fog is clearly, is gone as far as we're concerned. You just, you just told an amazing story and, and really inspired, inspired us. But how would you assess your health today? So that's so hard. And it's, um, it's kind of the theme of my life is <laughs> I can't get a full grasp right now. But um. I would say my health is, unfortunately, I would have to say it's only, I'm only 30% back to my normal self, in my opinion. Um, A lot of that's like the physical as well. I used to work out, as you guys know, often. Now I can't walk up the stairs. So that's like a big change for me. And, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to get out of some of the mental stuff. You know, I, I do struggle still with anxiety. I still struggle with depression. Um, I think a lot of people in the world do. (laughs) <laughs> which, you know, it's, it's something I need to remind myself of and I do need to be easier on myself, but I do definitely struggle with that. But um, I think I'm in a really good, good place though, even though I'm not, it's hard, even though I'm not in a good place health wise, maybe necessarily, you know, on paper, I'm not super healthy. You know, my blood work doesn't come back great every time, you know, when I do it every week, but I'm in a good place. I think where I'm going to start growing and I'm going to start getting better. And I feel like I'm now mentally there where I have accepted what's going on with me. I've accepted that I'm sick. It's okay. Um, It's going to be a long battle. I think a lot, I think the problem with me for a while too, was I was in denial. I thought that this would go away on its own. So there's been times where I would stop taking medication for weeks and I would say I'm, I'm tougher than my, my meds. You know, I'll get better on my own. It's not the case. You know, I, I have to stop being the tough girl. And I think I've kind of just started to reach that point where I'm like, you know what? I'm sick. That's okay. I'm going to get through this in a different way than I would normally do it. And I think that's another thing too. I'm used to just everything working out. You know, it, that's unfortunately how my life was. I lived too easy of a life before I got sick where you know, everything would just be okay. Everything figured itself out for me. You know, 
if I, you know, I broke my foot, but I was, you know, I put on a cast and I was fine after, you know, four weeks and I would be back on the field. So I just, I haven't hit, um, I've never really hit a huge um, wall in my life or, you know, I haven't hit a huge, um, you know, I guess downward turn. Um, and this is mine and <laughs> this is my battle, I guess. I, I've, I've learned and I've been listening to other podcasts and not just Lyme podcasts. And I've been reading other books, not just Lyme books, because for a long time I was immersed in only Lyme for a couple months and it was making me a little bit nuts. And um, I've come to realize that like everyone on the planet is going to hit some kind of huge boulder in their life where they're going to you know come up to a brick wall and they're not going to know how to get around it and i just realized that this is mine and hopefully this is my only one <laughs> i'm praying <laughs> i'm praying that this is my only big uh issue that i'm gonna have but you know what even if it's not this was pretty damn tough that i'm dealing with and if i can get through this i think i can get through anything else that comes my way so you know just seeing that trying to see the silver lining and, and trying to be as positive as i can you know, while also giving myself grace and allowing myself to be sad sometimes and to be sick because that's fine. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to terms with a lot <laughs> these last nine months of being diagnosed with Lyme disease. I think, uh, like I said to you guys, for a long time, I was like, I don't like who I am. I don't like who I'm becoming. And I'm starting to get to a point where I'm like, I think I am liking now who I'm becoming. I think, uh, I think I'm going to do something good with this. And I think maybe I got Lyme for a reason, as weird as that sounds. I think maybe I was the perfect person to get it because I, I know I'll go into remission at some point. I know I'll, I'm going to beat it. And then I, I know I'm going to protect a bunch of kids from getting it. So Vic, let's talk about that. You, um, you are already, despite being in the throes of your uh, Lyme disease battle, reaching out to other folks. And you're doing a couple of things that I think are, are really uh, uh, unbelievable. The first thing is that your Instagram is really just a really beautiful testament to the challenges that you're facing and uh, you're trying to reach out to other folks and help them through their journey as you're going through yours. And the second thing that I think is really beautiful is your uh, Lax Out Lime program that you started. And, um, and I watched uh, a number of different young people uh, uh, put together videos where they are trying to share Lyme disease awareness through this program that you started, where they're, where they're um, using their lacrosse sticks and a Lyme and making a little statement about Lyme disease. So can you please, please talk about first what inspired your, um, your Instagram and then ultimately what uh, inspired the uh, Lax Out Lyme program that you started? Yeah, so actually it's, it's funny. What inspired my Instagram was um, I wasn't, I'm a pretty private person for the, for the most part. Um, I bet people listening to this uh, in a couple of weeks are going to be shocked at some of the things that I said um, and just my health in general, because I don't think a lot of people know, but um, I, back in the fall, I, I really wasn't, I don't, I wasn't going to share my, my Lyme journey at all. And then I ended up having one of my players was having a hard time with her mental health and she was just having a, a really tough time and she was feeling low. And I remember I said to her, I said, listen, like I have really bad days too. Like I, I have depression too and I have anxiety. You're not alone. And she said, coach Vic, no, you're not like, you're always so happy and you're fine. Like you, and she said it like to a point where I was like, wow, I, am I like lying to everyone and doing a disservice to these kids by making my life seem perfect on the internet? 
because, you know, I let all of them follow me and things like that. I'm Coach Vic, you know. Um, and, and I really thought to myself, am I doing disservice to them and myself? Because the other thing was I would, you know, I showed up to a tournament um, after I got diagnosed, before things were really bad, but I was still pretty sick. And I showed up to a tournament and everyone was like, oh my God, you look so great. Like, you know, it's so nice to see you. You're going to crush line. Like, you know, I hope, I hope it, you're fine by the summer and things like that. And everyone, I was like, wow, people don't really don't get it. And people really don't get that this isn't like a flu. And this isn't like, you know, it's not like, I hope you get better soon. This is a, this is a tough health battle that I'm facing that's going, could be, you know, for my life, you know? So I finally just started, started to post on my Instagram and, you know, let people know what's going on with me. And I tried to be as open and honest as possible, um, you know, for that sake. So, so people don't know that my life is perfect for their own self. So, you know, they don't feel like I'm, you know, gallivanting around. I'm, I'm on the, just cause I post a picture on the beach doesn't mean that I wasn't sleeping on the beach the entire time I was there because, you know, I have light sensitivity. Um, and that's what people don't understand. So, um, I started posting that I started reaching out to, um, my players. I ended up, you know, reaching out to a bunch of people on Facebook. I joined a bunch of groups. Um, and what's kind of cool is from that, I have found a huge community of Limeys uh, who are awesome and who have helped me, me a lot and who I feel like maybe I've helped a little bit as well. So I actually, um, I have friends from Canada now. I have friends from Spain. I have a good friend who I talk to every day from Ireland who, who actually was just diagnosed last week with Lyme. She reached out to me she found my Instagram and she saw that we had similar symptoms and she didn't know what was wrong with her at the time. So what's kind of cool is we've been talking for a couple months now is I was able to be with her on her journey and, you know, send her what blood tests to, you know, make sure to get and things like that. And she was just, um, she just got a proper diagnosis and she starts treatment um, on Monday. So, you know, I've got been, I've gotten to meet really, really awesome people. I just joined the Global Lyme Alliance as an ambassador so I've been doing some fun stuff with them. Um, the Lax Outline, which you mentioned, um, has been really, really fun. Basically, I've just been getting my lacrosse players, similar to the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, um, to do a little stick trick with the lime, say a lime fact, which I told them they had to look up on their own <laughs> so they could hopefully learn some stuff instead of me just handing them some facts. Um, and then they have to tag some friends. So it's just been a good way to, uh, you know, especially that age, it's tough for them. I don't know how many of my 14 year olds are going to sit and listen to a Lyme podcast, but I know that they're going to look at all of their friends posting on social media about Lyme and little facts about Lyme. And even if it makes one kid, it clicks with them and goes, Oh, I got to watch out for ticks. Um, it's worth it. And we've actually been able to raise like almost $2,000 so far, which has been, um, which has been great. So that's going to go towards um, Lyme disease research and things like that. Um, so that's kind of my social media spiel. My dad and I also went on, my dad does um, a weekly uh, webcast basically on Facebook Live where he interviews different um, athletes, just, you know, just like a fun thing, especially when quarantine started. He was like, we need our sports fix. And um, he had me as a special guest one day and we talked about Lyme for, um, for about like a half hour. And I was able to give a little bit of my story. And what's nice is from there, actually, we've had about four or five people reach out to us since that video and said, oh, we found a tick on us and 
and we sent it into a clinic because of what you said on the video. So um, it feel it is nice to actually get feedback that some of the stuff I'm posting is making at least even a tiny difference. I mean, like I said, even if I can help one person, it's definitely worth it because this disease is hell. <laughs> and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I definitely wouldn't wish it on any of my sweet angel little lacrosse players who I love more than anything. I mean, I can't imagine one of them getting it. So I really am going to, as annoying as it is for some people, some of my friends who are 26 and they're like, stop posting about Lyme on Instagram and shut up. I'm like, no, I'm going to post it until someone gets, someone finds a tick on them or, you know, or sprays their, or sprays their house who wasn't originally going to, or gets a, their dog a collar who didn't have a collar. I'm going to do it until I get as many people aware of what's going on as possible. Cause uh, it's, it's a pandemic. Lyme is a pandemic a hundred percent. So there needs to be more done. It's very frustrating as a Lyme to see what's going on. That that's a perfect transition to our last question, coach Vic. And that is if one of your 14 year old players came up to you and said, Hey coach Vic, I have a tick biting me on my leg. What would you recommend that she do so that she wouldn't have to go through the terrible journey that you suffered? Right. Well, the first thing is, um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how to get the tick out in general. I, you have to pull the tick straight out. Don't twist it. I've heard so many people say twisting it and drives me crazy. Um, you have to try to make sure you get the full tick out by just pulling it straight out. Put that tick in a Ziploc bag and send it to a lab. I highly recommend that. I think a lot of people want to like throw the tick out or burn it or flush it or do whatever they do. Try to keep it and try to keep it in a bag because you'll have that peace of mind at least um, once it gets tested. The next thing they have to do is immediately call their doctor and get the maximum dosage of doxycycline. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure if I, I did um, in the podcast when I was talking to you guys, but my dad was bit twice already in May um, by ticks. And his doctor originally just wanted to give him two pills of doxycycline. And the problem is, you know, there's not, there's not even enough research that says that the full dosage of doxycycline will fully kill um, a Lyme infection. So, you know, for some doctors who are prescribing not even the full dosage and two pills or a week, I mean, it's so frustrating because you, you literally have someone that has the ability to not live this life and we're not giving them every chance possible to not do it. And it's med medication. You take it, take, take all 28, 30 days if you can. Um, and then make sure you monitor your symptoms. Um, that was one thing I really wish I did. And I look back and I, I kick myself that I didn't have a journal. Um, now I do, and I, I try to journal um, my symptoms and my eating and things like that. But I really wish I had um, some kind of journal where I was actually writing down what's going on with me, what are my symptoms, how am I feeling, did I eat anything that might have thrown me off, how did I sleep? Um, I think, to be honest with you, people should have a health journal no matter what, whether you're healthy or not healthy. I think it's just a really good thing because – you know, if I kept a health journal when I was, before I was 18, before I got really, really sick, I would have been able to kind of piece together the puzzle a lot quicker than, you know, eight years or however long it took me. Um, so that would be my recommendation, definitely, is, you know, doxycycline, full dosage, get the tick out, send it, and try to journal as much as you can. Be aware, especially for parents, too. And, you know, for me as a coach, one thing I've been doing is I've been also reaching out to coaches on Long Island and emailing coaches to tell them some of the, the signs to look for. Um, because I know for, for me as a coach, like I wish maybe my college coaches had an idea about Lyme and maybe they would have, something would have gone off in their head. So 
if I can at least get all of these people who are in charge of these kids every day, seeing them sometimes more than their own parents do, if I could get, you know, them involved and them aware of, you know, what Lyme is, how to prevent it, making sure their fields are sprayed, um, you know, as much as possible and things like that. Um, you know, I think that's a big step that we can take too, is making sure our educators, our coaches, our parents, the people that are actually taking care of the kids and, and watching kids, um, make sure they're fully aware because I think that's a huge step. And then in turn, the kids will teach their kids. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Coach Victoria Katowski. To our listeners, we have a call to action. If you'd like to learn more about Coach Vic and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Vic Katowski. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes or on our website. Thank you for listening.